That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, the Batman NDC podcast with no limits. Hey, let's get to it. We've got the Bat Force Times in New York. And I'm Robin Cross in Canada. All right. So comic book characters rarely stay dead. Jason Todd had the decency to do it for close to 20 years before being resurrected by tonight's guest as the hugely popular Red Hood, both in the pages of the Batman comics and in the animated adaptation Batman Under the Red Hood. Aside from his notoriety in the Bat world, this guest is perhaps more noted for winning Glad Awards, uh, among other awards, for his comic work taking on subjects like homosexuality, HIV, and homophobia in books like Green Lantern and Green Arrow for DC, as well as the autobiographical graphic novel Pedro and Me, uh, based on his friendship with Pedro Zamora. Uh, Since 2015, I believe, he has been writing a children's series called Hilo, and joining us for the first time on Bat Forest Radio, Mr. Judd Winnick. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Uh, so you're basically, you are the the creator of one of the most popular Batman stories of recent years, and it, it continues to be so. Uh, I, I work at a comic shop, and... Under the Hood is one of those books that we have to order every week, every month. Uh, well, I never, get, never get tired of hearing that. It's good to know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're, you're obviously, uh, as I said, you're known for so much more. Uh, the the first thing I wanted to ask you was, obviously, you know, if anyone who knows you knows that aside from your, your art, uh, you are also known for your appearance on television. Yes, uh, for those playing at home, 25 years ago, I was uh, on MTV's Real World San Francisco. That was the third season of The Real World. Um, so, yeah, it's been 25 years, uh, which seems nuts to us, but that is that is the truth. Um, it's kind of funny now because, uh, well, because I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing a graphic novel series, you know, an all ages graphic novel series. So it's and it's mostly geared towards kids, but. Um, I will meet teachers, I'll meet librarians, I will meet parents who um, know me both from or from, you know, mainstream superhero comics or, you know, from being on TV 25 years ago. So it's it's interesting being like a two generational, I don't know, persona, (laughs) such a such a weird word, but, you know, in a household. But it's fun. You know, the kids know me from Hilo. Mom and dad might know me from Batman or the real world. You know, there are worse kind of problems to have. It's pretty awesome. (laughs) That's a cool thing that I think what parent who is a Bat fan wouldn't think it's a cool idea to have their their kids reading stories written by the guy who brought Jason Todd back. That's a blast. I mean, that's really I I can't even tell you how much fun it is that, uh, you know, I get moms and dads who are well, who are comic fans, longtime Mm -hmm. comic fans 
who read Batman and Green Arrow and Green Lantern back in the day, and uh, and now who are reading Hilo with their kids. Um, and it's <laughs> it's it's great. It's great. I, I would call it weird, but it's not even that. You know, it's fun. Hmm. Um, it's 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 a fun. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, yeah, a lot of the parents will say like, yeah, this guy used to write Batman. It's like, yeah, you can't read it, though. But, you know, <laughs> it's like not not till you're at least 12, uh, maybe 13. Mm. Um, that's part of the problem is that, you know, a lot of it is what we were doing for, you know, over a decade is uh, making comics for older readers. Mm. Not even really aware. We want to be taken so seriously. Uh, so we were gearing it towards, you know, older kids and grownups. And that's where we went. Uh, so it's fun now to actually to be doing this where, you know, again, both ways. It's cool. Now, I wanted to ask, uh, we like to, to get this kind of story from everyone. Where did this road begin for you? What what was that thing or that moment that made you want to create? Oh, man. Um, well, I've yeah, you know, I've always been a cartoonist. Um, and, uh, when I was a kid, I mean, if you want to go all the way back when I was a kid, uh, when I was about eight years old, I fell in love with Garfield. Like, you know, it was, uh, awesome. you know, I, I read, I you know, read the comic strip in the newspaper for those of you young people who might be listening. Newspapers are iPads that are made out of paper that are current <laughs> events. on. And within those, within those papers, there was the section called the funnies or the comics. Uh, so I fell in love with Garfield. So I was, you know, again, like a whopping eight years old. Just, and that's what I wanted a, to do. Just to slide in one second. I mean, how brilliant was Garfield? It was, it was Jim Davis, right? That did. Uh, yeah. How, br- no, how brilliant were those short going. little three panel bits that Garfield came out? I, I love like everything Garfield. That's such a good one to, to, to you know, be. And the uh, early ones, you know, to be honest with you, the early ones actually do still hold up. I, I thought, I mean, when, when, I, when I had kids and um, I'm yanking, you know, books off the shelf. I'm like, well, they'll like Garfield because Garfield's whatever. It's for kids. When I was eight, I liked it, mm. so I'm sure they'll like it. Then I reread, like, the first four collections, and you know what? It's still good. I think so. It yeah. actually holds up. I you know, think as it went on. Vertical ones, right? The you Yeah. Can, yeah, those books are great. Those, those old school, you know, I think it's like Garfield gets large. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I Garfield the first gains one. weight, you know, like really subtle puns. Uh, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And that's what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to do a syndicated comic strip and I'd spent, um, most of my childhood and then most of, uh, you know, my adulthood, you know, aiming towards that. Now that said, all along the way, I was a proper geek. I was reading superhero comics and that's how, that's also how I learned how to, you know, read and draw, you know, was reading superhero comics. I had never intended or thought that I would ever write or get involved in doing superheroes. That was just what I loved. Um, it was always about comic strips and, uh, you know, cutting out huge portions of this story. Um, I, you know, I, I, I did a, I did a comic strip all through college. I went to the university of Michigan and I had a comic strip that ran daily in uh, the, in the Michigan daily and, uh, out of college, I got a development deal. For, with Universal Press Syndicate. So, you know, my life was working out exactly as I planned. <laughs> I always wanted to do a syndicated comic strip and right out of school, it looked like I was going to do that. But it was a development deal. And they, so we went back and forth. And after about nine months, uh, they dropped the hammer on me and, and let me know that they did not think it was marketable, my comic strip, and, uh, and dropped me for my development deal. And uh, I just about wanted to die. Uh, I had to move back in with my folks because the the little amount of money they paid me um, was gone. Uh, so there I am, 22 years old, and 
uh, and broke and got nothing. <laughs> no idea what I'm going to do. I was thinking about moving out to L.A. and see see what happened from there. But then I saw an ad uh, while I was watching uh, the second season of The Real World saying, do you, asking, do you want to be on Real World 3 San Francisco? And, uh, you know, I got up off my parents' couch and examined myself for bed sores and said, yeah, you know what? That sounds pretty good. I'd like to try that. And and the miracle occurred. I actually, I actually got on the show. Um, and then jump ahead many years. I got syndicated. You know, I actually, uh, you know, in 97 or so, I actually got a syndicated comic strip. And uh, I was ran at about 25 papers or so for a couple of years. And while I was doing that, um, it's when I decided that I wanted to try doing a graphic novel um, about Pedro Zamora, who was my roommate on The Real World Who Died of AIDS. And while I was juggling doing the comic strip and spending two and a half years doing a graphic novel, that's when I really stumbled upon the, 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 the realization that, that I think I actually want to tell longer form stories, that doing a long form, like long form graphic storytelling, sequential art, not comic strips, is kind of where my, my head and my heart lie. And it was doing that graphic novel on spec by myself, um, where I just learned like that's, that's what I want to do. And, uh, you know, and then, so then Pedro and me for, well, I should say the book came out, but it, before that, um, Friends of mine who are already in the industry, like in particular Bob Shrek, who at the time was the founder and publisher of Oni Press. Uh, he and I met, a, met a, at San Diego Comic-Con a couple of years earlier, and I gave him a copy of Pedro and me before it came out. Uh, and he basically had offered to like, OK, this is a mainstream book. And you should try to get it published with the mainstream publisher. If they don't do Oni Press, we'll publish it for sure. Um, I did get a mainstream publisher, but Bob and I were still friends. And then when he wound up at D.C., that's when he called me, well, like about a year into his tenure there and said, hey, I, do you like superhero comics? <laughs> it's like, we never got into that conversation. It's like, yeah, actually, actually, I do, man. He said, would you be interested in writing Green Lantern? It's like, yeah, yeah, I, I think I would be interested in that, Bob. Um, and that's kind of how it started. That's the short version. That's Cliff Notes. And I realized I just spoke for five minutes straight, but that's that's the story. Well, that's awesome. I'm, I'm happy to fill in any gaps I left out. I, th I think it's really cool how in a way how ingrained you are in actually american culture american pop culture i mean on one side you were you were like you're like a pioneer you were there for pretty much the beginning of what we call like reality television that's just pretty much taken over a good chunk of media and on the same note you've created one of the most popular canon batman story arcs there are that is mainstream and people constantly buy and need to restock on the bookshelves and com you know comic book shops and all that so that's a that's pretty cool. Uh, what's your that's, well for starters? That's very very generous, and a lot of that is just about luck and timing. But thank you. But hard work too. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but it, none of it happens without hard work and passion. And no, you know, no, no. You... I I I agree. It's you know success comes with you know hard work meets you know uh you know when hard work meets opportunities when yeah. success occurs. It's my favorite cliche. <laughs> uh, it's a... The uh, can can you talk a little about the process in developing um on the red hood story for our uh, batman fans well yeah it's uh at the time i uh i want to say um i was i was writing green lantern and i might have been writing green arrow um i might have actually finished green lantern it was just on green arrow and probably a couple other things um when um uh dan didio had sort of floated to me uh 
like sort of just like on the horizon. He goes, you know, do you want to write Batman? It's like, yeah, of course I do. It's like, okay, just, all right. At some point said, you know, the music will stop and the chair will be available and you're going to write Batman. So keep, you know, keep, keep that stuff in mind. Keep your Batman stuff in mind. Like, okay, okay. It, a lot of the stuff is that, you know, you get to know your editors, you get to know your bosses and you have these chats. I mean, you know, literally like years later after that, he said, you know, um, it's like, how much do you like Flash? I said, I can't write Flash. It's like, why? It's like, he's just not my guy. I said, I just didn't read it growing up. I just don't, I'd have to spend, honestly, I feel like I'd have to spend like two years to catch up before it even like, okay, okay, forget Flash. You know, it's, it's like that. So, so, so Dan had floated to me like, yeah, at some point Batman and, you know, Bob Shrek was editing Batman as well. It's like, yeah, at some point. So with that in mind, um, I was floating around my own ideas around Batman. And uh, I was reading as we all were, uh, Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee's Hush uh, arc on, on Batman, which was bananas, which I don't know if anyone remembers it. You know, Jim Lee's drawing it, so it's beautiful. Jeff Loeb's it, so it's insane. It had just about every villain, just about every character in Batman show up. It was amazing. And I don't remember at what point, but the whole, the whole big mystery was, like, who is Hush? This villain who... For those playing at home, with his whole face is covered in bandages, we don't know. He seems to know a crap ton about ba- about Batman and his background. He he knows far too much. Then they have this big reveal in a graveyard at the end of a fight. Uh, Hush removes his bandages and reveals himself to be a adult Jason Todd, who says he threw himself into the Lazarus pit and he's been re- resurrected and he's alive. And my head exploded. I thought this was the the greatest idea. I just, by the way, can we cuss on this or should I keep it clean? Oh, yeah, yeah, go right ahead. Good, because I thought it was the greatest fucking idea I'd ever heard. I was so excited. As a reader, I'm just reading this like everybody else. I just, and I saw it. I, I just saw the whole story like like a hundred miles of broken road. Like, this is a great story. It's like an opera. You know, this is Batman's greatest failure. And now his greatest failures come back to life. And he's a bad guy, and he's going to take everything that he's ever taught him, and he's going to use it against them. I swear to God, that was my reaction. It's like, ah, oh, I can't wait. It's going to be great. And then the next issue, they, they took it back because it wasn't Jason Todd. It was just Clayface. Yeah. It's like, oh. It's like, oh, okay. Well, all right, so we're not doing that. And uh, I was I was legit disappointed. I I thought we're gonna, you know I was I was excited to see that story. I was excited to see that from from Jeff and from Jim, and I was also excited that you know. It's going to change things up. I mean, that's to sidebar. That's that's the real hard part about writing superhero comics is that you're given a very small piece of real estate in which to work in. You know, mm. these characters who some of them are coming up on 80 years in print, they don't change a lot. They don't get any older. They don't you know, they they don't get married. They have certain rules. They they, they occupy that. You know, you can't write them from A to Z. You have to basically write them from. Like A to D, <laughs> there's a small part which you have to find new stories within these, you know, tiny parameters. So mm-hmm. when you find something new, which I'm always amazed when, like, you know, a Tom King or Scott Snyder pops up and like they 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 manage to find a new lane. It's like that's great. It's so great. So for me, I saw this new lane. I saw like this would be kind of interesting. And for me, it's like I knew it'd be undoing something huge, but. I thought it was also the idea, you know, that it still stayed faithful to the idea that it was still Batman's greatest mistake. Mm. It didn't change that. Um, it was still this great nightmare. Um, 
so again, when when my turn came around, which was only a few months later, uh, and Bob and Dan, you know, you know, started talking about like, hey, coming up in like you know six issues, like you know, um, would you be able to take over Batman? Then it's like, yeah, I think I would. And um, I told Bob about it, uh, what my idea was, and then I actually had I had breakfast with Dan DiDio at it was at the San Diego Comic Con. And uh, I was one of like like five breakfasts that Dan had that morning. That's which <laughs> Dan, is, is, Dan likes to eat breakfast. <laughs> no, he doesn't. But it's a great time to do meetings. I mean, it's what you do. Yeah. I don't. I mean, this this is inside baseball. If you want to get anything done meeting wise, you have to do it before you go to the convention center. So mm-hmm. you're up early and you go have breakfast with whoever you need to have. I mean, I've done it myself where I've had three breakfasts. You know, in this case, so Dan and I are sitting and talking about it. And uh, I told him my idea. Like he knew I wanted to bring back Jason Todd. And I kind of walked him through sort of the machinations of the story. And then I told him the ending, which was important to me. Like, yeah, and in the end, in the end, you know, Jason, you know, kidnaps Joker. He's got him. And he's confronting Bruce. He's finally confronting him in like in a big, big way. And he tells him that this is not like this is not about that, you know, you let me die. It's that you let Joker live. He killed me, you know, and you didn't kill him. Mm. You let him live. And Dan said that that's where you're gonna end it. Like, yeah, he says, go write that. Go ahead. Like, I don't care to hear anything else. It's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> it's like, go ahead. It's like, like, how many issues do you think? I said, I don't know. I think I think like two years. It's like, okay, great, go. <laughs> he said, that's the ending. God, I can't wait to see that. That's, that's awesome. Great. <laughs> um, and it was fun. And it was after after that. I mean, for me as a as a storyteller, I always I always like to know where I'm going. Um, I always know my ending. Um, the middle seems to change, you know, can change and have different, uh, machinations here and there, but I always like to know where we're going to land. I mean, even right now I'm, you know, so I'm writing and drawing this graphic novel series, Hilo, and, uh, um, you know, we're, I just finished book six. Um, and, uh, it, it was, it's, it's the first major story arc is, you know, finishing up. You know, like this started five years ago, but I always knew where we were going. I always knew where we were going. So um, for me, it's important. You got to know where you're going to land. Mm. Yeah, and I, I agree, man. To, to stick a landing sometimes in, in this genre is, can be proven difficult for a lot of people sometimes. You know, they through halfway through, they question it or worried about if the reader's going to guess what's going to happen or, you know, editorial gets involved. I just can't imagine like. Oh yeah, no. There's been oh yeah, no. There's been there's been a shitload of times where um, I mean, it's a good skill to eventually have. I mean, I'll I'll complain first, and I'll talk about skill building second. <laughs> but uh, there's been a lot of times where the rug gets pulled out from under you. Where this is where you're going, and for whatever reason, and reasons can be numerous. You know, some minor bullshit where someone else is just working on a different story in a different book, mm. and they kind of beat you to it. It's, oh no, you can't do that. Like what? It's like, yeah, and it's just one of those things where the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. And it's like, no, sorry. It's like, you know, that's going on there and you can't end there. So fix it. And um, sometimes better things happen. Sometimes it doesn't work out the way you want. You just have to deal with it. Um, it does make for uh, just a particular set of skills that come later. Uh, like uh, Ed Brubaker and I used to talk about this. And Ed actually still is able to use it. Um, Ed Brubaker for people playing at home used to write comics. Now he's a writer producer on Westworld, um, you know, for HBO. And I think he's got his own show coming out now, but anyway, Eddie and I were talking about this for a while that, um, 
when we sw- when we went to different mediums like television or even just writing our own stuff elsewhere, and big changes had to be made. And it's like, oh no, we can't do that. We'd be able to like, yeah, okay. Well, instead of doing that, what if we do this? And this character goes here, and then we have this guy who do that, and then maybe we wind up like over here instead. And usually the reaction is like, how the hell did you just do that? It's like, oh well, it's comics, you know. <laughs> so it's you know, it's kind of like looking at the Matrix, like you know. You guys see, you know, like ones and zeros and we see a blonde. We just know how it works. You just we can we can quickly make changes in story and still have to move forward because we had years of having to screw around like that. Um, it's very handy. You know, you spend over a decade doing that. It makes you for a stronger storyteller where he's like, OK, I can't do that. Let me think of something else. Mm. Well, the, the, the strong storytelling, uh, I think one of the things about your Red Hood story, like I put that in a category with Hush and things like Long Halloween because you told this big sweeping story that used so many characters that everyone knows from different things. You've got obviously there's the mains are Batman, Red Hood, Joker's a big part of it because of his history with Jason Todd, but you've got Black Mask, Deathstroke, Amazo, uh, so many characters play a part in this and it they they all managed to, to to fit in the story but um one of your other strong points in your storytelling is your ability to take these serious real life subjects like you know the someone being resurrected by a lazarus pit is cool and everything but it doesn't touch on anything real world that people can identify with but the work that you were doing on green lantern and then on green arrow dealing with things like uh homophobia and you know a character being beaten for being a homosexual and uh, a 17 year old uh, a 17 year old uh, I think she was a prostitute that was HIV positive bringing that stuff into comic books can't be easy to to tell those stories in a way that works for people that are you know the the casual people that are just coming in for a comic book story. Uh, is it part of your past, like you, your past with with Pedro being so close with him? It, was that part of what led to you telling that, those kinds of stories in your comics? Uh, yeah, yes, yes, and no. I mean, it's like you know, you bring all your experiences to um, you know to your work. At least you try to. It, it's it, it's what keeps you honest. Um, as far as I mean, let's uh, we'll, we'll call them social issues. Uh, coming into coming into comics i mean it's it's uh, comic books in general do have a long history of dealing with complex social issues uh you know realistic issues within a context of you know all these crazy superhero stories we tell um you know any everything from you know bigotry racism to drug use to you know i mean you know the bread and butter of comics is you know political corruption it really is uh, that's mostly what comics are about really <laughs> you know even when it's just you know good guys and bad guys uh we are talking about good guys and bad guys we're talking about corruption um so i mean that's the high-minded part uh for me when i was you know when i was doing when i was writing green lantern green lantern and green arrow had had histories of doing just that, tackling social issues within within their superhero comics. Um, I mean, I think I, I mean I know is one of the reasons why I was asked to come on to those books is that they wanted to, you know, that came from both Paul Levitz and that came from Bob Shrek and also when Ron Mars, who was the longtime writer of Green Lantern, was stepping away, um, he kind of wanted something along those lines to, you know, to to continue with the book. 
Um, so it isn't something that I necessarily would do in Batman because I don't know if it necessarily fits in Batman. He's not that kind of character. Um, whereas, you know, you have to fit the story with the book. You can't um, no way from mainstream superhero comics for a while. So um, so people seem to enjoy my work more opposed to when I was doing it day to day. And, you know, there was a period of time when if you Googled Judd Winnick sucks, um, you'd get up, you'd get 10,000 hits. And, uh, and I'm not exaggerating. There was, you know, there was a long, long contingent of how he's the shittiest writer in comics. Uh, particularly did, because did, of you this. Ever have, did you ever have to have a bodyguard with you at cons like Tom King? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, this is... <laughs> God, I, I, I've, I've joked with a couple of other writers that, you know, that I want to be careful that I don't make it seem like, you know, well, back in my day when it started, you know, and, and sort of equates myself to being like a, a freedom writer, uh, you know, uh, trying to desegregate, uh, lunch counters. Um, yeah, I was there in the early days of the haters, um, you know, for comics, this is, but this is, um, not pre-internet or anything, but just. You know, I started writing mainstream superhero comics, you know, in 2000. Um, and that's when we, you know, it's before social media. And we just had message boards. And, um, you know, and, for, and, and yeah, I got death threats. I did. I actually did. I got, you know, honest to goodness, death threats that, um, you know, professional law enforcement people had to be brought in to you know, ask the question of like, hey, so you just threatened to kill this guy. Like, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Like, yeah, right, you're not allowed to do that. So, <laughs> and little things like you get kicked off the message board and, you know, uh, you know, you get a warning from the police that you're not allowed to do that. These things did happen. Uh, things are a lot more heated now than they are then. And, uh, and also people are a little, I don't know, I think people are a little more brazen and will say dumb things. Um, but yeah, did have death threats. Uh, about everything you could possibly think of, from um, having gay characters in comics to bringing back Jason Todd. Uh, but uh, honestly, honest to God, it was never anything legit. It was always people being really stupid. It was always people being far too passionate about these books that they love. Um, but you know, if you're gonna, I mean, in my case, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do stories that have social issues, if you're gonna do stories that you're trying to challenge people, yeah, shit's gonna happen, um, and that's that's just the way it is. Um, but truly, honest to God, from the moment, no, before, before I started Green Lantern, before Green Lantern, even began, and when they announced that I was coming to the book, the amount of shit I got was just stunning, um, because obviously I was being hired because because uh, I used to be on the real world. And that's just going to bring in so many readers, uh, which, which, you know, it's like there was a bit of pushback, like, yeah, most people aren't going to know that he was on television. And we really don't think that's actually, no, no, that's not why, <laughs> but you could not convince people otherwise. So, um, so yeah, but more importantly, uh, I did these stories like, you know, doing a, an issue about hate crime uh, because we thought it was important. And well, actually we thought it would make a really good story. And we also thought it'd be a story where it, you know, to give folks who might not know. Um, so this is going back into the early 2000s. Uh, when I started Green Lantern, we introduced uh, a teenager named Terry Berg, who at first he was he was basically Kyle Rayner's assistant. Kyle Rayner had a day job as an illustrator and a cartoonist, and he hired an assistant. And eventually, this teenager would come out of the closet. He would come to terms with sexuality, and he came out, you know, he came out as gay. Um, and then about a year and change later, 
uh, he was he was attacked in a hate crime. Uh, and they, this whole storyline was born out of uh, the murder of Matthew Shepard, who folks don't know was a young man who uh, was out and uh, and uh, and gay, and he was brutally attacked by um, and murdered by a number of his classmates. It was horrible, and um, it uh, gave birth to a lot of hate crime legislation. Um, so we had an idea that maybe we could actually address this issue in a comic and did want to roll it out as like, a. <laughs> I used to make this joke all the time or reference all the time, like a very special episode of Blossom, but I don't think anyone knows what the hell that means anymore. Uh, Blossom oh, used to be a television show. Don't, uh, people. don't <laughs> underestimate people. A couple months ago, we had Joey Lawrence on this show. There you go. <laughs> no. We did. Yeah. And, did Joey actually have to explain? Like, so I was on this show, Blossom, a long time. No, no, we know him. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I know y'all know him. You're got <laughs> on. You at least looked him up on Wikipedia. But uh, yeah, for us, I I didn't want it to be a better example. I guess to be like an after school special where we do kind of one and done, and and that's it. It's you know we wanted to do kind of an ongoing story that sort of dealt with this issue, and the 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 upside of doing this is that you get to have a discussion about hate crimes. You get to have a discussion. Uh, about human rights, and no one in real life has to die, and no one in real life actually had to be beaten up or going to the hospital. Here we have a fictional character who, um, you know, suffers this and survives, and uh, and then we get to talk about the issue. We get to talk about hate crimes, um, and that was interesting for me, um, and uh, and for a lot of our readers. Uh, so it was, again, I think the most important thing is we thought it would make an interesting story. Um, we wouldn't do it if we, if we, if we didn't think otherwise. Um, and I think everyone at DC pretty much felt that way. It wasn't like any, a lot of these ideas got shot down cause we spent a long time talking about it and how to deal with it. And later when Mia Durden, uh, Mia Durden, who was, uh, you know, Oliver Queen, Green Arrows, uh, well, Ward, he was a, you know, uh, she was his ward. He, he was basically, she came in like a foster kid. So he was a teenage girl that he kind of rescued from the streets. Actually, this, and I should preface this by saying this was Kevin Smith's character. When Kevin Smith brought uh, Green Arrow back to life, um, he also introduced Mia, who was a teenage prostitute. And uh, uh, Ollie got her off the streets and brought her in. And Kevin Smith actually had the idea of making her into Speedy. But I think uh, people saw where he was going with it. And kind of pushed back on the idea of a teenage sidekick. That in this day and age, would Oliver Queen, you know, in his right mind, put a teenager on the street fighting crime? That's nuts, right? <laughs> you know, you, we don't do that anymore. And like Kevin said, you know what? I'm not. So he kind of put a he put a pin in it. And I actually thought, given you know the origin story that he gave her, is that eventually I thought eventually she was going to test positive for HIV, that this will be a character who is living with AIDS. Um, so when I took over the book, that was one of the questions I asked. And actually, Bob Shrek said, you know what? I don't know. But you might not be wrong. And this is something we should we'd think about. So as thinking about it, we made sure to call out the point that Mia was older. <laughs> she wasn't 16 anymore. She was like 17, almost 18. And toying with the idea that she's going to test positive at one point. She'll be living with AIDS. And then later, she's going to become a superhero. And we thought that was pretty cool. We thought that was a pretty good story. The idea that she's someone who is pointing out that I might be living on borrowed time. And the time that I have, I want to give back. 
I want to, you know, help people. You know, this is what I want to do with what I have. You know, I might live five years. I might live 50 years. I might live two. I don't know. But I can do this, Ollie, and I don't think you should deprive me of that. And that made sense. So that, again, we thought made for a good story. You know, and then and then a few death threats followed after that. <laughs> but those those are important stories to have happened in comics, though. Oh well, thanks. I I I didn't do it alone. I you know had great editors, great you know great uh, great publishers, and terrific artists to make it happen. You know, I mean, really, really, really. I mean, comics comics is a team effort. We we've talked a, a lot about uh, your Red Hood story and one of the people that you worked with. Uh, I think who you worked with the most. I think the main artist on that series was our friend uh, Doug Mankey. Yeah, and Doug's God, he's just the greatest. Yeah. I mean, he, he, told, just, he just, told me to tell you hello. You know, uh, tell him if you speak to him again. Tell him I said hi. And he, uh, I mean, it's uh, I feel I feel like I'm crapping on everyone else who drew anything during that arc. Um, uh, and I guess I am. But I, I guess <laughs> I guess I guess I guess. But my my point is this: what I was going to get to is that for me, he's you know he is the Red Hood arc. He's the one who I was writing for, and he's the one who made it come to life. Um, and, uh, you know, really made it something, um, you know, even, <laughs> and even had a little tiny things, whereas, uh, I, I, I drew an original, de- the, the original design of what, uh, Jason Todd, the red hood would look like. And his originally his helmet wasn't going to have eye holes in it. I thought it got kind of look cool and referenced back to the original red hood that it doesn't have eyes. It's just, you know, it's blank, mm-hmm. but, uh, Doug, uh, I think just did a couple of sketches and said like, yeah, it screws up the head turn like in a big way. Like mm. it just looks, it'll look weird at some point because we actually can't see where he's looking, um, especially in close-ups. And like, so I'll put eye slots in. It's like, oh, okay. Um, but Matt Wagner was already well into drawing, painting rather than the first like three or four covers. So if you look at the covers, he doesn't have eye holes on his helmet because, uh, <laughs> and that's because Matt was going off my design and then like Doug came in there and fixed it um, and properly so. But more importantly, holy crap, like, you know, Doug can draw and really just so dynamic and such great acting and just really, it just really made it something. It was just great. Something about the the product that you you and the rest of the team, uh, as well as Doug, put together struck enough with fans. We talked about Hush being uh, a few months before this, but you guys managed to put together a story that was animated uh what around a decade before hush yep. is now getting that treatment <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well i think the only difference was that i went in and pitched it uh <laughs> I, um dick um well i i have an animation background you know i um you know i i uh created and produced a show for cartoon network and you know i've been in animation for a while and honestly after um this was after uh, dark knight came out so like literally right after Dark Knight came out and um, I forget who I heard from. Someone was saying that that like, you know, DC Warner Brothers animation was thinking about doing like kind of a darker turn. Like they were looking like Dark Knight just sort of blew the doors off everybody. And it was so amazing. They said, yeah, wouldn't it be great if we could do something like that, um, you know, for the animated space, you know, for in our, you know, as an animated feature. And I said, well, shit, I'm gonna go pitch them Red Hood. Um and the only trick I had to sort of work out in my head, um, well, I had to t- let me tell it this way. So I had worked out a pitch, um, and I was going to pitch the uh, 
And for those playing at home, pitch is when you literally tell the story to, you know, executives who are going to agree to like, you know, you know, green light and buy and do the do do the movie or the project where the hell you're working on. So um, I had worked at the pitch, and as Bruce Tim told me later, so Bruce Tim was one of the heads of um, of DC Animation and uh and warner animation and uh he had he told me later he said yes yeah, so this was the whole thing was a no-go for me and i was like seriously because like, oh no i didn't want to do it like you didn't like the story like no i love the story i thought it was a great story because I, I, I read it i said yeah but we can't we can't tell the whole death in the family story to you know first like how do you get the weight and the gravity of death in the family you know jason todd's got to die for him to come back and like, and we don't have four hours to tell this thing. We're not going to do a two-parter. He said, so I was like, you know, forget it. Like, it's just not going to happen. So in my pitch, what I did is actually, the first thing I did is I pitched the teaser to the movie, which is um, the death of Jason Todd, just the death. <laughs> and uh, we've just, we got Joker has, you know, has, has kidnapped Jason Todd as Robin and he's beating him to death in a warehouse with a crowbar. And Batman is, you know, on on his motorcycle, desperately trying to get to him before he dies. And Bruce said, he goes, I'm listening to this and realized, oh, we don't have to do the whole goddamn thing. We can just do it in the teaser. Oh, forget it. This is a, this is, this is a yes. He said, the rest was a blur. I was just, I was barely listening to you. I was already like, oh, no, we're going to do this. We're totally going to do this movie. Um, mm-hmm. And it was all about, it was just that. I just. He didn't throw a Funko at you? <laughs> no, hardly. Quite the oh, opposite. Okay. I was like, like, was like, like great, let's do it. Good, good. <laughs> And this this was pre Funkos actually. Did I you mean he a has Funko? A good arm. And did you mean a, a a Funko bat wiffle ball or an actual like small like you know uh, a, a, a Funko vinyl? He's a been Funko known, pop vinyl, yeah. He he's, uh, he's, he this let one long rip against some. Uh, there was this chaotic line and people were acting uh, out of order for his like. Um, commission list or signing whatever at SDCC one year and he just got fed up and like launched someone wanted him to sign a Funko Pop and he literally launched a Funko Pop at the person so that's been the ongoing joke with the, no, uh, no, poor, 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 what if he launched a Red Hood Funko Pop <laughs> well it's two items one this is pre-Funko they weren't oh. making it back then and yeah. two they've yet to make as far as I know a Red Hood Funko oh. uh, have they have they if they have, someone should send that to me. Someone should. I'm just saying. They if someone's listening, because so um, I I do collect more than my fair share of Funkos. I'm not, I'm 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 half kidding. Yeah, I'm, I've got. I I'm, probably I'm, I'm 800. Sure, I'm pretty sure How one many? did come out. Eight, did you say 800? Probably. I can't. I mean, just they're everywhere. I mean, <laughs> you know, we've you know, in the entryway of the house, we've got like 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 four shelves, which is literally probably covered like like with 200 of them. <laughs> alone right there i mean maybe even more like all i got i got in early and kept going with every new one they 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 put out until finally like oh fuck this i'm only gonna collect what i absolutely like like quote unquote need um because they started doing everything so i've got a shit ton it's just ridiculous well they're so genius because they make them so small and they're only like 10 bucks right so you're like oh yeah just i'll pick up one or two no big deal (laughs) then you have 800 yeah, you have to tell me. I've got a problem. I know. Yeah, like, well, yeah, they're great. Well, it's clever because they they do franchise with license properties that mm-hmm. nobody else is gonna even think about touching. Because they like uh, Daffy Duck and Duck Dodgers and the Green Dog. I'm yeah. like, who else is making merch like that? So yeah, 
Oh, there you go. Yeah, the, yeah. There he is, the Red Hood. Uh... I just threw it up in the chat so you can see uh, your your Red Hood Funko Pop. Oh, is that coming? Is that coming out this year? Or is that an old one? When is that? That, that was last year. Last year. Shit. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm going to eBay and Amazon right after I talk to y'all. Um, and I say that like I'm actually like, do I actually have it here? Have I do I have one? I forgot. I might. That's how many. <laughs> too many. I might actually have that. I might. Mary left in the box. I that's can't remember. A, that's so awesome because. Like Red, I want to, I, I want to thank you personally because like Jason, Red Hood, Jason Todd, he's my favorite. Well, if you want to still consider him a Robin, Jason Todd's my favorite Robin slash character. So I absolutely love the Red Hood persona that you gave him. You know, making him the Red Hood, I think it's just so awesome. And he's really pop. I mean, it's weird because we live in a world where, you know, how it was like, um, with Jennifer Aniston and Angelina Jolie. Well, it's like. Dick Grayson or Jason Todd, you know, it's like, it can be very polarizing, but Red Hood, I, I, I always say he's super popular in mainstream um, media because, all right, number one, he was a highly demanded character to be a, da- a playable download character for Injustice 2, the DC Comics fighting game by NetherRealm. So that was a really big thing. So he's really big in the gaming community for starters. And yeah, then, no, I've heard that too, yeah. And then yeah. he has his own fucking video game, Arkham Knight. <laughs> like, fuck, he got his own hot toy. Dick Grayson doesn't even have a hot toy yet. <laughs> so how, how, did, how, did, how do you um, process that? Like, I'm grateful. Guy, you know? I'm really, really grateful. It's uh, It was one of those things where, you know, um, I love it. You know, I love that it's got longevity. I love that, um, well, you know. To, to take a step back people got to know like we come up with these stories because we love them yeah. you know we 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 create these characters because we love them and um i thought this is a really hot idea and i thought it was wonderfully tragic i loved how just unspeakably tragic it was and i was delightfully surprised how much people got it mm. that um and also the core of it that um you know that J- that Jason is a bad guy. You yeah. know, yeah. he's 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 a villain. He's an anti-hero. Um, I mean, he's he's you know he wants he's he's gonna kill bad guys, yeah. but he's doing it because, <laughs> he's doing it because well I I managed to figure out a worse father-son relationship than than Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was you know Jason Todd and uh, and Bruce Wayne. Um, he felt wronged. He felt hurt, and. Um, People seem to relate to that in some way. They seem to get it, mm. uh, and they got the opera of it, um, which it's. I mean, it, it's really exciting and a beautiful thing because you you come up with this crap in your head and it goes out there in the world, and uh, you know. And the, and by the way, the you know, the story arc, um, you know, did really well. It did really, really, really well. Was it the greatest selling comic at the time? Like, no, it was Batman, and it did fine. It did really well. Was it like knocking the doors off? Was it like crazy incredible? No, people were digging it. It did really, really well, you know. But, you know, here we are, what, like 10 years out, I guess? Um, and he's still around. So um, that is the strength of the characters that came before us, you know, the very idea of Jason Todd and like the bad Robin, as well as the Red Hood, who was created way all the way back in the day. Mm. And again, I was I was lucky enough to be the idea who like the, the, the guy who put the two ideas together. Um, so I dig it. Trust me, there's nothing. I mean, I can't tell you the 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 fun of 
the the first time uh, when we screened the Under the Red Hood movie at mm-hmm. San Diego with an audience of 5,000, how much fun that was. Wow. To the very first time I'm seeing people do cosplay. Yeah. You know, which is a blast. You know, like, oh, that, that, that crap came out of my head. That's so fun. I, I, I can't. The point now that Jensen Ackles uh, did a Red Hood cosplay and posted pictures online. Just yeah, I had a heart attack. I saw that. That was like the greatest. That was like <laughs> so one, awesome. of the, one, of the, one of the biggest teases for every fanboy and fangirl out there who actually wants to see it come to life. Oh, my goodness. Uh, That'd be so Like, awesome. do it. Do it, man, before he gets too old. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Just to just – maybe, maybe, maybe Matt Reeves can make it happen. Uh, I hope. That would be so amazing. But just to rewind, just one pinch. Uh, man, the animated adaptation of Under the Red Hood has to have one of the most home-hitting – profound endings of any animated movie I could ever think of ever. That just, that ending where this, you know, the flashback and what, what does he say as a young Robin? Uh, Today's going to be the greatest day ever. Oh, so, yeah. This, this is the best day of my life. Just, yeah. Just the way it contrasts the rest of it. I'm like, holy shit, man. That is just so home hitting. It's like, I, I almost feel like sometimes that home, the whole movie just set it up for that one part and you just like, Oh, like, Right in the fields, man. It just, oh, it, it's a well, really well-regarded uh, film. Really well-regarded uh, movie, man. So Well, and, it's, and it, the it, it, it's the cast of, you know, it takes a cast of hundreds to do it. Yeah. There's all the animators. There's Brent Vanetti who directed it. There's, you know, there's an amazing score. There's terrific performances. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and, you know, you put it down on the page and, you know, I mean, I wrote it and you hope it, you hope it comes out the, the way you see it in your head and it comes out even better. Um, particularly that ending, like, they really captured what what I I I I think I when I wrote the scene I no I know why I wrote the scene the first thing I said like okay in this flashback everybody's happier everybody um, and you and you, you all you gotta do is watch like 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 Bruce is happy like he's he's good you know and the way you do it and you could you could hear it in the vocal performance that there's, there's a slight more lilt in his voice and uh, you know and then they cast this great kid mm. and I think that's actually which adds the brutality of it. Is that yeah. you know he's a happy kid, um, and then we've after we've gone through all this to remember all where it all started, you know when it was all hope and everything was good, and you know and where we're gonna end, um, you know so again like I'm still very very proud of it. You got an opportunity that not many writers will get, in that you you wrote the story in the comics, and then you also got to write the screenplay for the adaptation. Now when it comes to doing that, and you're faced with the obvious uh, truth that you're going to have to shorten this you're going to have to eliminate things and characters that that didn't make it into the into the animated movie do you see that does it feel like you're sacrificing characters and scenes or are there aspects of it that you see as an opportunity to do things differently than you did the first time around oh no i was um i I, (laughs) i'm sorry to laugh because my my when uh, when I got the opportunity to do this, when I came up with the idea that I wanted to pitch it as an animated feature, I was excited because uh, in my head, like, oh, I just get to do the best stuff. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna cherry pick all the best crap from the two years, and I'm gonna put it in the movie, and it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> uh, and I, I I don't know if that sounds egotistical, but you kind of know over two years. You know, it's that that's a, that's that's, you know, tr- 24 and change comics and, you know, and there was an annual and there's a lot going on there. You know, so it's a lot of swinging and a lot of pitches. But you get to know, like, yeah, this time around, ah, oh, 
just going to go for the home runs. Everything that was awesome, I'm going to take all the awesome parts of the comic, put it in the movie. Um, Greatest hit album. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. You know, I mean, you, you're, you're running, I mean, th- th- these all these things where you ask questions like, hey, do you, uh, are we cool with using Amazo? It's like, yeah. It's like, all right, cool. I'm going to use Amazo. Because like, it doesn't even matter. We don't have to explain it. Just a big giant rollout with all the powers of Justice League. Yeah, I'll explain it in one line. We'll do that. Great. Okay, let's put it. Let's, let's have Nightwing in here. For heck, yeah, let's, oh, this would be great. You know, um, <laughs> and like, yeah, we're going to use Black Mask. And uh, I won't lie to you. Early on, so, <laughs> I, I won't tell you it was in production. Uh, they were actually, we were talking about Black Mask. And they said, so how does this mask work? It's like, it's not a mask. It's a skull. It's like, what? Like, that's his face. Like, how the hell is that his face? It's like he at one point, like, burned his head and pulled all his flesh off. Like, that's his face? It's like, yeah, it's like Red Skull, but it's black. It's like, okay, now I got it. Red Skull, but black. Okay, that's that's fucked up. Okay, we'll do it. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things you don't think about. It doesn't matter. It's like, all right, we'll just design it. We'll go do it. I mean, they, they got it once. It's like, okay, no, he's like Red Skull, but it's it's like, it's black. Okay, got it. All right, we're moving on. Um, but, yeah, for me, it was a lot of fun because I just, I got to use the good stuff. And, uh, and I got to, I got to, uh, I wouldn't say fix the ending, um, but I mean, I've talked about this a lot at length, but I don't mind telling it here that in the comics, Jason Todd comes back through this infinite crisis thing we did with Superboy from a parallel universe gets stuck in a dimension and punches a wall and, you know, screws up time. Through, yeah. Just temporal shift over across different dimensions. And it brought Jason Todd back to life. So that was one of the ideas that we that was the idea we had when we when I first started the arc and right when we were developing crisis and um, I have talked about this a bunch, but I'll tell it one more time. But when the time was coming, that was going to reveal how he came back to life in the book. Um, part of me said, like, well, do we actually have to tell it? It's like, no, nah, I guess people want to know. So we'll tell it. And as I was writing it, I actually went back to Dan and said, being Dan to Dio, um, I'd spoken to Bob about it. I spoke to Bob Trip about it. Like, hey, Bob and I are talking about this. And uh, I think they're going to kill us. I think the, the readers are just going to eat us alive if we try to do this Superboy punch thing. And he goes, what do you mean? It's like, I don't know. I think Batman's so terra firma. You know, it's so, it's so grounded. It's so, like, reality-based that I think we need a more reality-based answer than this. And Dan said, okay, go back the other way. I said, okay, I have this idea with Lazarus Pit and... I even had this idea that involves sort of Dr. Savannah, so we'll do whatever, this whole thing. He said, okay, okay, do that. And then call, Dan calls me back a week later said, I think you need to go back to crisis. It's like, why? He said, I was just at two conventions in a row. It's all anybody's talking about. Crisis is just, it's just all anybody's talking about. And it feels like, like yeah, let's let's deliver the goods on, on, on crisis. This big overarching story that goes across all the books. Now, the thing was, like six months later, he might have had a different answer. I might have had a different feeling, but it felt like at the time we were doing it, the idea of doing this story within crisis was just so red hot and made so much sense. That's what we did. And that's how we did it. Um, it did not, it, it kind of, it did not last well as time went on looking back on it. It didn't serve the story well to have something that was so ingrained and weird and metaphysical and geeky to be the answer about how he came back. So, you know, years later, when I'm doing it again, it's like, well, no, we're not going to do Superman punch. We're going to, he's going to come back to the Lazarus pit. And, uh, and that was easy. I mean, I'd already, I'd had a lot of time to think about it. So it's like, okay, so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with plan B, which we had thought about. 
Um, so that was the thing. We and For me, I was happy because I got to do it both ways. I got to do the original idea that we had, the one sort of gave birth to the idea and stayed faithful to the, the comics that were coming out at the time. And then later I got to do one that was going to like, you know, I think, you know, stand the test of time a little bit better, just a little bit better. I mean, that's part of the problem with comics, you know. I think also that way, you know, doing the the Raw's uh, involvement, having you know, taken his body and threw him in the Lazarus pit, that leans in really well to the Lost Days. Yeah, yeah, it did, and that was that was my my kind of kind of my last bite at at, at the Red Hood Apple, um, <laughs> which um, again, there's another one that I went to. Uh, Bob and Dan and said like I got one of the Red Hood, sto- Hood story like and like you know and uh, they were excited like great everyone loves Red Hood let's do it hmm. I said I want to I said I got the idea of doing kind of an origin story and Dan I remember shaking his head he goes man that means no <laughs> that means no costumes right it's like yep it's like God I hate it okay <laughs> okay that's fine all right all right Dan always had a thing that like we always try to put like superheroes in street clothes he said they have the fucking costumes let them wear them. <laughs> <laughs> Let them wear the fucking costumes. Like, let them do it. For God's sake. And he, and he wasn't wrong when we were when we spent like the decade of doing everything grim and dark and and like every chance we got, we wanted to put them like in civilian clothes. I don't know why. We just did. It was just mm. we couldn't help ourselves. Yeah. Um, sidebar: All comic geeks should listen to uh, this podcast called Imaginary Worlds, which and there's a great podcast. It's only half an hour long. Uh, it's called The Hobo Suit. It was one of the first ones I listened to from Imaginary Worlds, and it details. The folks who made the early and best superhero costumes hmm. and now they sort of figured out the art of it that like, you know, there's a way of making this stuff that is more like body armor rather than costume. It's the, rather than spandex hmm. that made it seem real. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so yeah, um, uh, uh, Lost Days, Red Hood. Yeah, that was that was me filling in, uh, filling in the gap years, uh, you know, when Jason disappeared and when he showed up as Red Hood. Um, and that was basically my pitch is like, yeah, we're going to go learn, you know, how, how he got it done and how he kind of went, went bad as it were, or went worse. The lightning round. Which... All, right. All right. Sure. I've really, Maybe. Uh, is it no, true? no, I haven't heard it yet. Is it true? Are you really from Dick Sills? I am really from Dick Sills. This gorgeous. I'm yeah. Long Island, right? Like exit 50 yeah. Long Island. Yeah. I, 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 I grew up on Long Island. I grew up in Dick Sills. Uh, I, I was exit 52. Oh, okay, fifty-two. Wow, Dixie yeah. is big. Fuck, I just yeah. It is. It is. It is not that big, yeah. but because um, those those exits when you get out there, they like they're really far up, apart. I know. Like the further you get out in that area, it's like the each exit is like two miles from the next one. So yeah, um, yeah. It's it, but uh, but it's 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 suburban living. That's true. Uh, it, but, is, it was it was a great place to to, to grow up, and now I live in California. Cool. Right, so, <laughs> so the first question is uh. New York style pizza or Chicago deep dish style pizza? Oh, a New York pizza. Oh, I mean, course. you know, you gotta. I mean, no, but uh, d- uh, I mean, they're two entirely different animals. Yeah, that, know? that is true. It's, it's... For me, for me, it's trying to like compare. Like, what do you like better, Italian food or Indian food? Like, these are two. They're two different species. They're two different sports. <laughs> I mean, one is pizza, the other is deep dish. It's a whole different thing. It's like soup, as <laughs> some people refer to it. Yeah, it's just it's not it's not the same thing. What about okay. that low carb? California shit. <laughs> that's not, that's not pizza. That's what you're eating instead of pizza to kid yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it's not pizza. pizza. 
That's well, not funny. You put kale on pizza, you're, you're, you're just lying to yourself. You know? You're just a dick. <laughs> uh, no. uh, it's, it's, it's not a personal attack. It's just you're making, you're making a decision, not a good one. But like, yeah. if you're going to go in and have pizza, have pizza. You know, right. if, if you want to have a salad, have a salad. You know, just make, make choices. That's all. A uh, plain or peanut M&M's? Uh, plain, for sure. If you could have dinner with one human being who's who has lived throughout history, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, this is such a this is such a dark, terrible question. Which <laughs> yeah, we, we, no, uh, it's um, no, it also like you know, um, you know, it's like you got to pick one. It's like I don't know, like I know, like, like I need a lot of people. They're either like, oh, do I choose a family member or do I choose like Abraham Lincoln? You know, like right, you know. Yeah. Um, I uh, well, you know, that said, uh, when you think family members, like I guess, um, but you know, my I guess I'd be curious about like having dinner with like my my great grandfather, right? Uh, which uh, like you know, was his name was Max Winnick. Um, the funniest story I can tell about him is like uh, I'm a shade under five nine, and uh, most of my family is like over six foot. And uh, my uncle and I were going through like a bunch of old boxes and shit, uh, old pictures and whatnot. And then we found a driver's license from my great grandfather. And uh, my uncle Mark holds it up and said, holy shit. He said, Grandpa Max, Grandpa Max is 5'4". It's like, what? And he looks at me and goes, this is why we're this size. Hmm. This is how this happened. Right here, this guy. Um, <laughs> but I think part of me would be curious about, you know, kind of where he came from. Mm. Um that said, it could be like after 10 minutes, it's like, yeah, I don't need to know this guy. <laughs> I, I should have had dinner with John Lennon. That, I, really, I really should have. Because this is, this is kind of interesting, but he's like, yeah, he grew up in Russia for a while. Okay. And it's like, yeah, it's just not as nice as I thought it'd be. <laughs> so uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Um. I would have the uh, I would be able to control the weather. Oh, wow. uh, and I've thought about this one a lot. And I, I live in California. There's no weather there. <laughs> no, you know what, man? Because uh, after writing superhero comics as long as I have, um, and thought about this question a lot, I thought about like the one power that you could actually be a superhero, that you could actually save lives, like for real, like do things, and changing the weather. Yeah. You could actually stop hurricanes and tornadoes. You could make it rain where there's no rain. You could make places fertile. You could I mean you could actually save lives. You could change the world. Mm. And I, I said this one time at like a it was a book signing, and some eleven year old kid then raised his hands like, Yeah, but what happens when you die? <laughs> it's like, oh my god, you're right. It's like it was, it was brilliant. It's like, yeah. Constant rain because it's crying. I love Sky's crying. Well, it's like, yeah, no, it's like, you're right. Like, yeah, you save the world for a little while, then you go away. What the hell happens? Like, yeah. No, I guess you got to have a shitload of kids and hope for the best, right? Like, you, weather witch? Huh? You? Who are you? Control the weather? Come on. we got a planet to worry about here. Like, oh, that's like, that's like a rainforest now that the shit does not, not got to cape up. Come on. Hey, you, you, you wrote. A lot of Shazam. Maybe you could do another run where that's one of the powers I have. They can control the weather. Yeah. yeah the wizard. You know, the I'm, wizard's weather. Yeah. Ooh, shit writes itself. <laughs> sort of. 
I'm not saying it makes a good comic. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking me like what I what I would do, and I you know, I would fly to the, I would go to the Middle East and you know make it rain. I think that would calm the hell down. I think really do. I think, oh shit! I think things would be significantly better if it was a little bit cooler and a little bit wetter. I think they'd be just just a little bit. I do. They I need would... some rain and New York pizza, and they'd yeah, be good. <laughs> yeah, a little bit better. <laughs> not saying it would, it would end things overnight, and there's other issues, but you know. You know, cooling tempers. Mm. Yeah, and the, I agree. the last one I have is a uh, what is the best piece of advice that you ever received? Um, well, I think I hit my, my my first big cliche, which was you know, um, you know, when prep preparation opportunity uh, meet is when you get success. Right. Uh, and that you know to to expand on that a little bit, um, you know, things don't happen in a vacuum. Um, and often people, you know, I'm purely talking about work advice. That's, I mean, sort of, mostly. Um, like, you know, it's like, how do you make it in, in whatever you want to make it in? It's like, well, you got to work really, really hard. You got to work really, really hard. And if it's not, and if you can't find a job in your chosen field, you have to do a job that you don't like that pays the bills. And then you have to find the time to do the work that you love. And you do the work that you love on the side and work really hard to make it, you know, the work that finally pays the bills. You got to do it. You got to find the time. You know, if it's an hour a day, you got to find it. If you if you're lucky, you get two hours a day. You got to do it, um, and just make it. You know, if you want to make books, make a book. You know, you want to make comic books, go make a comic book. Uh, because no one, <laughs> I, mean, I think it's uh, Alec Baldwin makes this joke that when he was he was younger, um, he said that you know um, he always had this feeling that he was waiting for someone from the you know from from the entertainment uh, company. To come knock on his door, you know, just like literally, hey, uh, uh, Mr. Baldwin, Alec, hey, we heard you want to be an actor. We're from the entertainment company, and we would like to hire you to do some acting for us. So please come, come act for us. He said, no, it doesn't happen. You you actually have to get out there and you know and 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 do the work. And um, it actually it it's more meaningful when you work really really hard and you get it done. Um, so. That is a that is the unfortunately the best advice I have. Some bullshit. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. <laughs> roll your sleeves up and get to it, kid. Uh, well, in the, in this age of millennials, uh, people need to hear that. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, Here's my advice to them: move out of your fucking parents' house by the time you're thirty. <laughs> you know what, man? <laughs> For the last, oh, I don't know, about, I guess, like 60 or 70 years, every generation has said that to the generation under them. Move out of your fucking parents' house and get a job. <laughs> just just put hippie on the end of that sentence. Move out of your parents' house, you hippie, and get a job. You yeah, know? It's so true. It's just, and I'm starting to say kids, they have no respect. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's just a constant. <laughs> it's a constant recycle yeah. of the same shit. Over and over again. Welcome to my world. (laughs) The sooner you accept that, the better you will feel. You know, I am I am of the uh, generation X generation, and we were called slackers. You know, I'm working three jobs, and you know, and there's no one I didn't know who wasn't working really, really really hard. But we got this, this we got hung with this mantle that we were slackers. Like, yeah, okay, Mm. fine, you know. And then you know, my generation, which has built the tech industry, you know, and there's minor things like that, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and after that, now it's the millennials who are like lazy shits and aren't doing anything. Um, the millennials and, get it pretty bad. They get hammered. though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, honestly, Sorry, Levi. The, 
keep going back. You know, I mean, I, I don't, you know, the baby boomers didn't get a pass. Mm. Uh, nobody does. And among every generation, I mean, we, we focus on the worst of them always because it's way more fun. Mm, you don't yeah. think like, you know, it's just more interesting and it's, it's, it's a lot more, um, you know, it's got a lot more juice to write up how, you know, that, you know, uh, comedian stories are dying because of millennials. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm sure it's not them, but I've, I've I've learned not to generalize them anymore because it's it's so not fair. Because there's a kid in my neighborhood, a 20 year old kid, who doesn't even own a cell phone, and all he does with his spare time is rehabilitate pigeons in his coop that he made in his yard, and that's where his money goes. I'm like, I can't generalize everyone. It's just not fair. There's, there's so many. I'm like, holy shit, man. What's your holy grail of Funko Pops? Oh, dude. which is the one that you won't let even your wife touch? I mean, you, you're like hands off. Wow. Okay. Well, that's for one. That that's a terrible example because my wife gets to touch everything. Oh. Uh, and uh, no, she's a big geek as I am. I swear to God, it's why we're together. <laughs> it's, you know, I found I found this like brilliant and beautiful woman who could talk Star Wars as much as I could. Like, okay, that oh, example. Shit, if I right. came to your house and I started looking at them, I wanted to pick one up, and you, which one would you go? Ah, oh, stop. No. You know, it's not the Funkas because there's a lot of them. Uh, but I, I will say we do in this household. We have three life-size Yodas. Wow. And uh, oh, three. And uh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. No. I mean, you know, oh, I, I feel we have just as much as we need. Uh, Holy shit. Uh, do you, do you know get... Paul Dini by any chance? Like, you guys would get along really well. You guys... Yeah, I know Paul a little bit. And we get along great. You guys, you, know? you guys, hey, you look, must have like when... you must share storage unit facilities or something with all the stuff you guys have, dude. When it's uh, a fun quote from Matt Groening of The Simpsons, um, <laughs> he was talking about like way way back when he was talking about like you know, um, he said, yeah, me and my buddies were always talking about like when we got a lot of money, what we would do. And uh, I really got down to it. We were just going to buy more, more, you know, basically more comics and CDs and toys. He said, and that's, and he's saying, he's like, and you know, I'm a millionaire now. And that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> he said, I just, I just brought more, just more of the shit that I, that I really wanted, but I get to have more of it now. So <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I make a decent living. So I get to buy a stupid amount of Funkos and, you know, and tap out at three life-size Yodas. I'm done with the Yodas. You know, I bought them in different stages uh, and, you know, and and three's enough. But, you know, that's it's it's what does a grown geek do? We it's well, hell, man, I live like a 10 year old. I make things up and then I draw them. That's my job. <laughs> you know, don't think it's lost on me how lucky I am that I won the life lottery. Mm. And and honestly, God, that, you know, um, I buy the nerdy crap that I want and uh, I do the nerdy things that I do. And and again, you know, um, you know, t t today I'm working on I'm working on my seventh book about this, about this little boy who flies around and shoots lasers out of his hands. You know, before we let you go, just sure. tell everyone everything they need to know about Hilo, beginning preferably with how many bad guys Red Hood kills in it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because it's a licensed character, these are my own. Um, so none of that DC nonsense in my books. Um, not nonsense, but uh, well, long story short, many moons ago, uh, my son's 14 now when he was actually, this. it's about Red Hood, so I must tie it in. He, uh, when he was about seven, 
he started taking a shine to uh, superhero comics and he wanted to read some of mine. In particular, he wanted to read my Batman run. You know, it's like, Dad, can I read your Batman comics? And I had to tell him at seven, like, no, you may not, <laughs> because they're not really made for a seven year old or for like older kids and, and grown ups. Because there's you a lot of Catwoman number one. That's a yeah. Good one. Hey, there you go. Right into that one. Extra um, sex. There you go. It was, it was, it was yeah, not for the wee ones. Um, so I actually ran out. I got him. <laughs> Um, Jeff Smith's bone and he just lost his mind, loved it. Um, and I happen to know Jeff Smith. He's a buddy of mine. And I told Jeff, my son just went nuts for bone. And Jeff then sent us two gigantic boxes of merch. Um, like just, just a stunning amount of stuff, stuffed animals, action figures, t-shirts, hats, posters, calendars. And my son became a bone super fan, just lost his damn mind. And me, I got a little bit jealous. So, um, (laughs) Combine those two things that there were actually weren't a lot of like all ages action adventure superhero books for kids. And the fact that I got jealous and wanted to win my son's love back. Um, so I started doing Hilo and Hilo is Hilo is an action adventure story. It's it uh, it's drawn the way I draw. It kind of looks like Calvin and Hobbes, um, but, but it's a straight up kind of uh, action adventure superhero story, um, you know, about three kids. Um, and uh, for the grown up readers out there who like, whipping through things quick. Um, the sixth book in the series comes out, um, comes out in January and it finishes up just the uh, first big story arc. Um, and, uh, I'm very lucky. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a humble brag. So it's a bestseller. It's in about eight languages. It's doing really, really well. And I absolutely love it. And, you know, we're talking to people about the next stage of it where, you know, it'll be a movie or TV show and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so I would say go into any – it's published by a small independent publisher called Random House. So um, it's real hard to find. Go into a bookstore. Uh, <laughs> go into any bookstore in the country or Amazon or what have you and uh, read the first 12 pages. If you're, not, if you're not hooked by then, then you're not just not hooked. Then read the next 12. And then, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, then, then buy all six because i got to buy more Funkos. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, hey, Jeff, we just we want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your contribution to um, the genre that we love so much and uh, uh, that beautiful escapism that we can't get enough of. Like I said, Under the Red Hood is a classic to us. And you know, everything else you've done is just it's dynamite, man. Great energy behind it. And, man, three Yodas. You don't f- – you, 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 I would, you sit down and have a beer with a man who owns three Yodas. That's all I got to say. <laughs> so. Well, honestly, I want to, I want to thank you guys. I really, really do. I think, uh, I think you do, you do a terrific podcast and, uh, it's always very, very thoughtful. I think you get great people and you know what? I mean, at, at, I actually I hate the expression at the end of the day, but at the end of the day, this is all about all the stuff we do and superheroes and the books and, you know, and, um, it is all really about the folks who read them and love them. And yep. uh, I know that sounds Pollyanna, but I couldn't possibly mean it more. Uh, because I happen to be an older dude who's been working steadily at this for like 20 years. Um, and I've been very, very lucky. I got, I've been able to wear lots of different hats. I, you know, I've got to do comic strips. I got to do my own graphic novels. I got to write a crap ton of superheroes that I always wanted to write. And uh, now I kind of came full circle where I'm writing and drawing my own stuff again and there hasn't been a time where I haven't loved it. I mean, there's always been highs and lows, but it's always been great. But it's always, always, always been because other people love it too. So thank you guys. I mean, the support you give us is is immeasurable, and you know, you you you, you can't put a price tag on it. 
You guys are the best, so thank you. We really appreciate that. Thank you, Judd. Thank you so much. Hey, Gotham Dwellers. Make sure to stop everything right now and subscribe to Bat Force Radio. We can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't miss out. Guaranteed to satisfy all of your Batman and DC needs.